what's up everyone it's robin smith and it's time for the robin smith show for monday september 12th 2022 uh welcome to the show if you're new here uh this is my podcast where i ramble about various things interview guests talk about psychotherapy music other such things current events um if you're a longtime listener i have i am i am sorry i'm sorry i i meant to get an episode out last week and uh yeah it's, it feels like i'm dusting off dust in the podcast studio you know it's labor day weekend um back to school everyone's back to school now right and i think the back to school this is you know this is a hold for an upcoming rationalization okay I think the back-to-school routine really threw me for a loop. Uh, This is the story I'm telling myself, and most of me is choosing to believe it. Uh, Yeah, I – I well, here's the – okay, okay. There's a couple of things going going on here. Um, So I don't know if I talked about this on a a prior episode. Um, I've been trying to get better sleep. And so with that, there's two things. Getting better sleep means I wear this whoop strap. Some of you might know, you know, your Fitbits, the whoop strap tells you just like Fitbits, like how much you're sleeping, REM sleep, slow wave sleep, things like that. Um, and But it also tells you like if you want to have 100% sleep or if you want to get like green recovery so you can exercise, run the trail, do workouts and stuff. For me, run the trail. Uh, when you need to go to bed by. And mine, you know, Tells me to go to bed at like, I don't know, nine o'clock, sometimes even before nine o'clock. So if you're an adult, uh, whether or not you have kids or not, I mean, usually you're not going to, to bed at nine unless you have, unless you wake up real early, your job requires you to get up real early. Or I mean, I, when I say adult, I mean, you know, your twenties or your thirties, forties, maybe when you're getting a little older in your fifties and sixties, maybe you naturally wake up earlier and naturally go to bed. I don't know. I, everyone's different. Everyone has different chronotypes. Um, Look it up if you don't know it. Okay. Anyway, so uh, – but I also made a commitment. I didn't want to be podcasting uh, late at night. There's just something about that that I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. That's – I don't want – you know, I'm choosing – sometimes like in in the history of this show, I've been podcasting since October 2020. And in the history of the show, there would be times where, you know, I'd, I'd ask Kelly, my wife, to do the nighttime routine with the girls because I needed to get an episode out by 8 p.m. You know, my listeners had expected Sunday nights are when the episodes go out. But I, I, I feel like I invested too much in that. And I was like, now, like, you know, how many regular listeners do I even have? What, like 30, 40? Do they, are they going to give me a hard time for not getting the episode out on time? You know what I'm saying? Like, so I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to do the nighttime routine with my girls. And not that it happened that often, but anyway, I don't know. Are you able to follow what I'm saying? What I'm saying is the reason why it's been, what, two weeks since my last episode is because of these new, uh, I mean, I've been prioritizing my sleep now for maybe about a month. Back to school, going to sleep earlier, uh, not pushing myself to get the episode out on time. And then when that happens, then it's just like the whole week hits and it's just like, I don't know. Okay, so then, so let me get to this. The other reason, though, is I actually have uh, 
some, tre- not trepidation, not trepidation. I'm not scared per se to talk about it. In fact, I'm, much of me is very excited to talk about it. But I think I did have some hesitation about how, just exactly how transparent and, um, for lack of a better word, vulnerable. I know some people hate that word. Uh, I don't hate it, but I don't know that it necessarily captures what I'm trying to express here. But let's just use it for now. How vulnerable I want it to be. Uh, but again, like I, I'm professionally a psychotherapist and my clinic is about destigmatizing therapy. So, I mean, if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, you know, this is a space where, you know, all of my humanity with respect to people's boundaries, I'm never going to betray people's confidences, but my own, uh, that, that includes my own, but with respect to like being a human being flawed, contending with things, and and hoping that this can have some value for folks listening to it. Um, I'll talk about uh, therapy both from the provider side as well as the patient side. And so I think there was a part of me that was, you know, definitely eager and jazzed to talk about what happened in my own therapy. Um, but then there was another one, another part that was like, do you want to do that? Are you sure you want to do that? You know, um, in IFS therapy, we would we would call those two parts that are sort of polarized. Um, uh, anyway, again, if you're new to the show, you you might be missing some context. You might want to listen to some prior episodes. But um, yeah, ba- basically, let me just kind of if you're new, let's get you up to speed here. Um, <clears throat> IFS therapy is a it's a cut. I took a training and it's now how I provide therapy for my clients. Um, it stands for internal family systems. It was so revolutionary that it caused me to switch therapists and find a new IFS practitioner, like I, or a new therapist who happened to do therapy in the IFS model, um, to find a new consultant, a supervisor, mentor. Uh, it just, it changed the way I parent my daughter's, um, how I see my wife's parts and how I see my own parts and all of my friends. And it's just a total fucking game changer. As they say, you know, reserve that phrase for when it actually applies. Well, it applies. Um, so anyway, um, in IFS, we are all comprised of parts. And so your parts are, they have different roles, but generally speaking, there are, two broad categories of parts. You have protector parts and you have exiled parts that are being protected. So the ones that are really vulnerable and can get hurt. Okay. So those parts of you that maybe you have memories when you're younger, that when you were terrified or humiliated, these parts are tender and sensitive and they tend to live in your heart. And then you have protectors, the ones that protect those exiled parts. And they are, they are, all over the place. They, they can be in your shoulders, in your head. A lot of them are very cognitive and thinking parts and skeptical parts. Like, I don't know if I trust that person. You know, if you've been hurt before, it's you have every right to not trust a situation that hurt you in the past, right? So anyway, without getting too deep into the model, let me just say that I was in therapy with my provider and I had, um, I had I had come across one of my exiled parts. He's six years old, um, so first grader, okay. And I'm in the session, and I'm and I'm feeling the 
sensation of my throat uh, being squeezed. Okay, and I and I I realized that this is me in first grade. Um, I was choked by a student in my class. Um, like you know how kids in elementary school they they from their main classroom they'll go to like PE or art or music or the media center. So the memory is in the hallway at the elementary school, but like, I'm very fuzzy on that. And so as I'm kind of interacting with this six year old part of me, and again, oh, sorry, if you don't understand, like I, how am I interacting with another part of me? So th- there's a dual nature of awareness. There's you, you have an awareness before thinking, um, you have an, an awareness that is called the self, um, in other traditions. Like if you were raised Christian, this would be the Holy spirit. If you were raised as a Hindu, this would be the Atman. Um, if you were raised as a Buddhist, this would be the Bodhisattva. This would this is the prana, the chi, the self energy. So this is something that's a an awareness that is prior to individual egoic, agenda driven thinking, analyzing. Um, it's it's a it's a sovereign awareness. Um, in meditation communities, it's the it's the um, yeah, it's the self uh, that is not the small mind self. It's the large awareness. If you take lots of psychedelics, you're still having an experience even though the small you has shattered. You know, ego death, quote unquote, happens when you take heavy amounts of psychedelics. Anyway, point is you don't need any of these substances uh, or chemicals to shift into this level of awareness. So that's what I mean when I say I'm talking to my six-year-old self. Okay, so back to the story here. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in session and uh, – and so, but what happens is this six-year-old um, is telling, he's kind of communicating with me through the choking sensations in my body. Um, and then I have another part of me that's like, is that true? Like, did that, like, did, where did it happen? Did it happen on the ramp? Where, did it happen in this hallway? It, it, it was like looking for being accurate and looking for not lying to myself and not like concocting or fabricating some like false memory, Right. And so what happened was the reason why I'm sharing all this is because it was really, really cool. What happened in the session was um, the, so the six-year-old would be an exiled part, not a protector, right? One that carries the wounds and the injuries, carries the trauma, right? The, another, the other part that's coming in is called a protector. There are two different kinds of protectors. If you want to look up more about IFS, there's managers, there's firefighters. Managers are proactive. They kind of prevent harm from happening and firefighters are reactive when you're in a lot of pain they kind of swoop in and and save you right from that pain um this was a manager this was an eight-year-old manager so me at the age of eight an eight-year-old robin was coming in and trying to like conference with me on how would be the best way to help this six-year-old robin and the eight-year-old robin was the job was to doubt the accuracy. Like, is this really true? Are you sure this is really true? You know, let's get this right. Let's be accurate about this. Let's make sure it's true. So he was doubting and he was preoccupied and fixated with truth and accuracy. Anyway, so my therapist is like, well, see if maybe he needs anything in order to step out and relax and give you space so you can keep working with this six-year-old. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And and um, the the eight-year-old is basically like, you should like – you should see if your parents know that this happened to you. The eight-year-old is like, did you tell your parents about this? And like, 
me, 38 year old Robin in the therapist, in the therapy session, um, was like, uh, did I tell them? I don't know if I told them or not. So I make an appointment. I say, I tell the eight year old, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll call them. I'll call my parents. Okay. I'll, I'll follow through on that. I'll make an appointment. We'll check in later. Would you give me some space? And so then, yes, then the eight-year-old backed off, relaxed, stepped out here, and gave me more one-on-one time with the six-year-old. The only problem was is that this time it was like, you know, five minutes left in the session. So my timekeeping parts were a little preoccupied, like, ah, we can't, like, go anywhere deep and have to close it up before we're out of time, right? So so fast forward, I honor that eight-year-old part, and I call my parents up, and I'm like, and by the way, first of all, if like if you don't have parents anymore, you don't like you don't I didn't actually need to check with my parents in order to do the healing work. But because I do have my parents in my life and that's what the eight year old wanted, I just I I don't want to say I appeased it, but I just said, look, I, I respect your your uh, <laughs> your preoccupation. I didn't call it a preoccupation, but like your wishes of what you what you feel is needed here. It's not needed, but like the eight, from the eight-year-old's perspective, it's like, we should check this out. I'm like, okay, got it. Roger that. Got it, bro. You got it. So then I, I like listen to the eight-year-old. I call my parents and I'm like, so I'm in session. You know, they, they know I'm in therapy and they, I mean, they know I'm a therapist, right? So they're, but they don't know too much about IFS. So I'm telling them this and I'm, I'm, I don't want to catch them off guard. So I give them a little preamble, but then I eventually say, so do you, did I ever tell you that I was choked in first grade? And, and so then my mom and dad are both like, and I wanted to have both of them on the phone so that I could check with both of them at the same time. And they're like, no, 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 you, that's news to us. <laughs> you know, you, you never told us that. And some context that's missing is this six-year-old, this six-year-old that was feeling the fear of being choked and giving me these choking sensations in my throat was not only feeling scared, like it, it, it stuck back there in time, back in 1991. It is stuck back there carrying the fear, but it also carries sadness. And this is, what, this is when that eight-year-old was jumping in. I know I'm all, I'm all over the place here. But it was carrying sadness. The sadness was, hey, the grown-ups aren't like looking out for you. Like there, wasn't, there, was, there weren't grown-ups to you know, protect you from being choked or grown-ups that were like basically there there to to make sure that whether it was protection or like justice you know like let's if something bad happened like let's make sure people know about it so so that that six-year-old was really sad and so and then this made sense because then i talked to my parents i'm like did i ever tell you about this and they were like no and to me you know my adult self is like you know that, that what that means is not only did I not tell my parents, but that also means like the teacher never knew because like surely Montgomery County Public Schools would file some sort of a incident report or talk talk to administrators. You know. Um. Anyway, so I had this, I had this experience, and then I I followed through on the eight year old's request, and so my parents are like, no, we didn't we didn't know, and I'm, and and it's funny because <laughs> my parents were like, I thought you said that part of you that part of you is six, and I was like. No, 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 no. So there's you have multiple inner children. We all do. We all do. And it's, you know, if you're if you're still listening to me, maybe some listeners be like, I don't know what podcast I just stumbled into, but this guy's fucking loony. He's multiple personality disorder. Um, we all have them. We all have them, and uh, they're different ages. And I was saying, no, mom, no, this is the eight year old. And I 
And on that conversation, I was like, the eight-year-old's job is to doubt stuff and to like make sure things are true. And what's funny is uh, when I was about eight years old, that's when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. Now, maybe that's a little late. I don't know when you were, I, you know, hopefully you're not listening to this around your children. This is adult content. Uh, but, you know, spoiler alert, Santa Claus isn't real. All right. So, yeah, when I was eight, that's when I found that out. Uh, and then from there, I, you know, I'm like, okay, so man with a beard who's keeping track of whether you're naughty or nice and what happens to you, whether you get good things or bad things. Like, okay, if Santa's not real, then, you know, probably God's not real either. I just extrapolated this, like the adults are using these myths to, you know, uh, manipulate, I don't know, uh, to, to control, to control children, uh, and their behavior and their choices. Um, so yeah, the eight, the eight, that's, so that's why this eight year old is job is like, is this true? Should we doubt this? Is this accurate? Cause that's when I, that's when that happened. That's when the eight year old had this like, Oh shit, God's not real. Right. That's a pretty, that's a fucking game changer for an eight year old, I guess. Right. Um, spoiler alert, turns out God's real again. That's a whole separate thing to unpack, but, um, yeah, I was an atheist for 30 years. Uh, Believed in God until I was eight, didn't believe in God, and then I found God again and when I was 38, I think, maybe 37. Anyway, uh, yeah, so what, where am I on this? What, what, what am I talking about here? I'm losing the thread. Anyway, it was just neat to, it was neat to like, I don't know, kind of con- connect these things. And, you know, that's, again, that's kind of like the point of therapy is to you know, not just have the insight, but to heal. And, um, God, I mean, I'm really looking forward to to having all of my protectors relax and allowing me to go in there and help this six year old like let go of this uh, this trauma, this this energy. And you know, if you're wondering like what the what the what your inner child needs basically is to be witnessed by you, um, needs to be witnessed by you, and uh, if 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 that little kid back then needed things to be different, needed, needed like someone to do something for them, like stand up for them or say something to someone or, you know, whatever it is, that's, it's kind of like step one witness, step two redo, like do a do over. And so that you are actually able to go back in time. I, I can, in my therapy session hasn't happened yet. I'll probably talk about it on the podcast when it does, but I will go back to 1991 at that elementary school on the elementary school. And, you know, do whatever that or maybe it would be at home, you know, I don't know, but like do what that kid needed um, so that he can trust me. And then I can I can, you know, have him tell me how bad it was or show me or give me the sensations. And I, it's not we're not talking about vicarious trauma or re-experiencing trauma. It's not like that, because remember what I said, Holy Spirit, Atman, Bodhisattva, it's you are this self that can't be hurt, can't be destroyed. And, you know, so you're okay. So you're just there to kind of take, be the spacious, loving awareness that kind of takes this energy out of the the kid. Uh, And then once they do that, then they trust you and they feel safe enough to be retrieved out of that time. It's like, okay, you know, you can come into the present now and we can let go of all this stuff that you've been carrying. Uh, The process is called unburdening. And so when the part trusts that that's okay and it's safe and you're safe enough, it'll, it'll leave that time in place and come into the future or sorry, not the future, but come, 
come into the present and then either be in your actual real home or or in a fantasy place like the forest or the the mountains or the ocean or somewhere and it can it can take these burdens out of its body and and let the let the elements take care of it whether it's light wind water fire earth or anything else and um and just let those things take the burdens away and um i know that sounds incredible to a lot of listeners a lot of skeptical science minded empiricist evidence based uh, but it's it's real it's 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 real it's and you can replicate this it's not just you know this is not just some sort of like visual guided visualization and you're just kind of tricking your mind or tricking your nervous system it's like no <laughs> no this is it's um it's incredibly powerful work and that's why i call it a game changer anyway so there was a part of me that that was like feeling two ways about telling that story on the podcast and in addition to back to school chaos and in addition to getting better sleep i think i had a, some conflict about whether i was going to talk about that on the show or not um and again, it's not like, you know, I'm not talking to uh, thousands of listeners here. I'm talking to a, a group, uh, a small group. And um, man, I really appreciate uh, the listeners, the, you regular listeners. It's it's quite a thing, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, just to, in whatever way this is helpful. I hope I hope this is helpful. Um, and I'll keep talking about it again because, you know, my in my day job, my, my like I said, my clinic is there are there's mission and vision and goals of the clinic and one of them is to destigmatize and i just really think that a lot of you know how we do medicine in the west with hipaa and privacy it's it's just we forgot we forgot as a society the benefits of collective healing and having like a a town healer and a or a village shaman like people line up and everyone can get their healing done. I mean, we don't do that. And it's a damn shame because there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot, literal shame. Shame prevents people from healing. Shame causes you to hide. Fear causes you to, you know, like, like what the kind of fear I had about, oh, am I going to talk about this on the show or not? I mean, that it it, it keeps things stuck. Um, And yeah, man, it's just like, (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that our culture in the United States and more broadly in the West can have some sort of a, I don't know, second wave, third wave enlightenment, some sort of, some sort of healthcare enlightenment of being able to, I mean, pri- look, privacy is important. I get all that. I'm not saying throw away privacy. I'm just saying if we, if we destigmatized therapy and trauma and actually just said like, you're a fucking human being. I mean, okay, I'm not the right messenger for this, but you <laughs> but you're a human. You're a human being. And to live a human life is to contend with malevolence and chaos. You know, you can have the perfect quote unquote perfect life. It doesn't exist, but you can have the perfect life, right? And like you're still gonna contend with things that scare you or humiliate you. And things that scare and humiliate you when you're little, they get stuck in your nervous system. They do. And the shame is, the problem is, like, when that happens, then those parts that are little and vulnerable and tender, they live in your heart. Again, it's a bizarre claim for for many listeners probably. Uh, then they lose their natural qualities, like their natural playfulness, their natural creativity. 
their natural tenderness that they, they, they people get calcified they get or the callous rather they get they 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 get too serious they don't know how to take a joke you know i mean these these kids inside of us when they when they get traumatized they we lose we lose their natural qualities and so when they heal guess what happens guess what when they create space in their body they take all those burdens out of their body guess what it creates room for the good stuff to come back in i talked about this with um with Michael Ryan, I don't remember what episode it was, but um, it should—it wasn't too long ago. Scroll back, and, and if you haven't listened to that one, listen to that. Talk a lot about a lot of uh, shamanic traditions, and I go off, I nerd out on how IFS is this one, this one of these ways of re—I uh, don't know what the right word is, but yeah, reincorporating um, shamanic practices in. Western psychotherapy. Um, anyway, um, all right, let's move on here. Let's move on. Uh, you know, actually, I don't think today's going to be that long. I, where am I here? Where am I? I'm in 25 minutes. Jesus. Um, yeah, there's... <laughs> okay. Well, I have to talk about... Okay, I have to talk about this. Um, I... Uh, I have a I actually have a a buddy who is a professional interrogator. He used to be a professional interrogator. This was um last weekend I want to say it was. We uh we hung out with some friends and we were having dinner. And he was telling me about this work that he used to do, you know, 10 plus years ago, um working for the military and being a in, in uh, interrogator. You know, if you have if you have persons of interest, you've captured them and you need to interrogate them and get a confession about where, you know, get some information, get some intelligence to protect other troops or other uh, people in the government. You know, there are methodologies to interrogate. And I was just listening to him. He, he was talking about like how they, how they train you. And they're like, in order to be an interrogator, like you have to know what, like you have to know the map of the ego. You have to understand what a person is, what they're comprised of and where their pain points are, where you need to, I'm I'm paraphrasing him, but where you need to squeeze, right? Like where, how you can, it's not through coercion, not through coercion. That's, that's different. Maybe the Russians or the Chinese will do that, but there's international law against that, right? You're not allowed to coerce a confession, but um, there are, there are ways, there are avenues you can take to influence. You could think of it as manipulation, but the point is what he was trying to say was like, I need to know if I if I'm going to break you, I need to know the places to go to break you, right? And so and I was and I was just endlessly fascinated by this because on my side of things as a as a mental health provider, I'm like, yeah, I am aware of all the same parts of the ego, except my role is to heal. My role is to like show curiosity and compassion for these parts. And when he was talking about it, it's like it's very much a role. It's not really who he is, obviously. Like it's his role. It's his job in the military. And so it's like when you're there, you're doing your thing. And then when you're off duty and you're at home with your spouse, like take that role and put it in the shelf. Don't bring it out. And he was saying like, you know, he was like, yeah, when they train you, they're like, hey, you know, if you want to use this on your wife or something like you might get divorced soon. Like you don't, you don't use this. You don't use this stuff on, in your marriage. And then they explicitly said, but your kids, you know, I'm not, we're not going to say anything. Cause I was thinking about him and when his, you know, 
when his uh his daughter grows up comes of age and like teenage boys are coming and he's like i was like dude you're literally fucking uh robert de niro from meet the fuckers like <laughs> like that's that's who he is and um yeah it's just I, I I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna see if he can come on the show. I don't know if I don't know if he'll be willing to. Everyone's got different personalities. Some people are more open than others, and other people are just like, I mean, I could come on and talk about other stuff, but I can't talk about this stuff. I don't know how much of it's, you know, uh, I don't. I didn't say anything classified, obviously, but like I I think that'd be an interesting conversation just from the two perspectives uh, in healthcare and uh, in like intelligence gathering. Um, that was really cool. Also, also what I wanted to share from you, this is like a couple of, I'm, I'm spilling here, uh, like a week, two weeks of, um, experiences. There was, um, speaking of the military, uh, I didn't realize that my father-in-law, former guest of the show, Jerry Glenn, Jerome Glenn, uh, his, his, uh, father, I think it was his father, not his uncle. I think it was his dad. Um, I could be getting this wrong. One of his relatives was was one of the frogmen uh, and responsible for Hell Week. So it's like um, the underwater demolition team, UDT, I think it is. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up here. I'm going to post this on Instagram. This... um. Excuse me. He he has like a holster, a gun holster, um, from the underwater. Uh, hold on, it's not there. Wait, hold on. The Naked Warriors. Heroism and high adventure: the story of the Navy frogmen from World War II. The Naked Warriors. So that's that's them. They're the ones responsible for uh, for developing Hell Week. Uh, and I think actually, didn't someone die recently uh, from doing Hell Week? Um, if you don't know what Hell Week is, it's it's an intense uh, training. Is it for the Marines or just for Navy SEALs? I don't know. I don't know if it, I should get my fucking facts straight here. But, um, yeah, I didn't realize, like, oh, shit. Like, my father-in-law's family is the, the brains behind Hell Week. Um, yeah, his dad was a lieutenant in the United States Navy underwater demolition team udt 21 and i was he was handing me this gun holster he's like yeah this should really be in a museum and i'm like well fucking put it in a museum um anyway uh yeah i'll tell you what so uh there's you know in these individual shows sometimes i play music i i'm really squeezing this in i gotta i gotta go to lunch so i gotta promote light the night though before we go uh, it is the time of year again. Uh, we light the night. Uh, this is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The Light the Night Walk in Washington, D.C. is going to happen October 22nd. Um, so bring light to the darkness of cancer. When you or someone you love hears the words, quote, you have cancer, it's one of the darkest moments in your life. The light and warmth that the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society generates delivers hope in a time of despair, connection in a place of loneliness, and life-saving research and support for cancer patients and their families. Now is the time for us to be a bigger and more powerful community than we've ever been before. Be the voice that speaks up. Be the hand that reaches out. Be the light that cures cancer. Register today 
uh, go to lightthenight.org uh, to learn more. And yeah, I started walking in the Light the Night walk a few years ago um, in memory of Mark Gold, who's a fellow um, Sherwood Warrior alumni. Um, he lost his life to uh, blood cancer. And so I like to, I like to raise awareness. It's yeah, something I'm sure I've talked about on the show before. Um, but there's more to be said, but not in, not in today's episode. I've got to run and sorry again for the, uh, gap here. And uh, I'm looking forward to actually, I believe I've got Sean Cottrell, his interview, uh, this Wednesday. So I'll bring that to you next week. Um, Sean, uh, for longtime listeners, has been on many episodes of uh, you know group shows. He was on the first show and then several other Monday Night Hangs. Um, yeah, so he's a great guy, and I'm looking forward to talking to him. Anyway, that's the podcast. That's the show, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, take care of yourselves. I'll see you next time. The Robin Smith Show is produced by me, Robin Smith, executive produced by Robin and Kelly Glenn Smith at Team Robley. Theme song by The Very Small. The show is engineered by one of my alters, Games Nabisco. Listeners can get in touch by calling the hotline at 301-458-0883. Messages can be sent to robinsmithshow at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Disclaimer, this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, psychotherapy, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no therapist-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. <laughs>